My name's Matt, if you don't know me. I'm married to Joe right here. We've got four daughters, which is exciting. <laughs> Terrifying, all of those things. But it's great to have you here with us. Um, very warm welcome, particularly if this is your first time here with us. We know that walking into um, not only a building like this, but a room full of people that you don't know can be a daunting, uncomfortable experience. So we really hope that you feel um, at home amongst us. We believe that the church is a family, um, a family on mission would be, would be the best way to describe it. So we're here because we love our city and we want to reach out to our city and see God move in our city. Um, and one of the ways we do that is through just being a family. And we want to very much invite you into that. So you might feel like, well, I don't feel like you're my family because you're funny looking. I've never met you before. That's okay. Just kind of have a look in from the fringes and get to know us. And hopefully over time you can get more and more involved in things. And as Rich has been saying, one of the best ways to get involved in the kind of the family, the life of the church is to serve. So I'd encourage you all to think about how you could do that. Um, you know, we, you can serve on kids' work if you've been a child yourself, which we all have. So you can all get involved in that. You can get involved on lugging around bits of PA if you know how to lift stuff, which not all of our team does actually, because last week Len picked up one of these speakers and just ripped the handle off with his brute force, <laughs> which they're not plastic, they're made of like metal. That's like, I don't know, it's like titanium or something. You know, they make spaceships out of that sort of stuff and Len just snapped it in half. So, uh, so he's fired. He can't, he can't serve on the, the lifting team anymore, but the rest of you guys can. Okay, right, if you want to find uh, Exodus in your Bible, uh, we've been working through Exodus. Don't worry, I'm not just on Twitter right now. I'm going to use my phone to control the screen behind me if this works. But we've been working through the book of uh, Exodus. Uh, it's the second book in the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 9 at the moment, and uh, my phone isn't working, Simon. So you're going to have to do the magic for me. Okay. I normally would say as if by magic the words will appear on the screen behind me. But this really is a step of faith right now to see. That's not what it says in Exodus chapter 9. It doesn't, doesn't say that. Not in my Bible. Simon's obviously got a different one. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to find it in my Bible. Revolutionary. Yeah, some of you guys are like, that's a book. What, what is that thing? Did you find it in a museum? Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from verse, verses 8 to 18 of Exodus chapter 9, and then if the words do appear, then we'll all be blessed. If not, then you can just listen or follow in your own Bibles. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it towards the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and it will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. 
And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. If by now I put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I've allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I'll send a very heavy hail such as not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for your words, this book. Um, We thank you, Jesus. It's not just a bunch of fables and myths that we can pick apart and, and mock, but God, this is your word spoken to us. This is not only something that's true, but it is the truth. God, it speaks of you, Jesus, of who you are. It speaks not out somewhere in a distant cloud, but it speaks right into our lives, into our church, into our city. And we want to take it so seriously. We want to take it so seriously. We want it to impact our lives. We want it to change us because Jesus... We want to become more like you. So we pray, Holy Spirit, we ask that you be at work in our hearts. Come open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. We want to know you. We want to understand you. We want to meet with you, Jesus. Thank you that you're a God we can have relationship with through the Holy Spirit. And we pray you'd help us to do that today. Amen. Amen. We've been working through a couple of weeks um, obviously begun through the book of Exodus, but in particularly these last few weeks, we've been talking about, you might have noticed about the sovereignty of God. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, God being above the gods of when Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh and Aaron throws down his staff, it becomes a snake. And then the magicians perform the same miracle, but then Aaron's snake, his staff, then swallows up all the others. And we're talking about how God is sovereign above all the power, everything in our world, in our universe, God is sovereign above all those things. And then last week we were looking at some of the plagues and pulling out some of the stories and talking about how God is uh, above not just the gods, but above your gods, our gods, the idols in our life, the things that uh, call us away to worship things other than God about how God is sovereign over all of those things. And then this week we're gonna talk about how God is sovereign over your salvation, about how he's sovereign about over your relationship with him. We're particularly gonna look at Pharaoh and how uh, uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and see how God is sovereign over our salvation. Because in what we find is in the first of these five plagues, these blows that God has struck against Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that first of all, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. 
says that numerous times, Pharaoh hardens his heart. But then in uh, the, the, the ones we've just read about the boils, and then it goes on to about the hail, which is the sixth and seventh plagues, the language changes. And it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And it can seem initially like Pharaoh is kind of this ruler who's kind of standing against the power of God. He's kind of this wall holding back the tide. Um, and the thing is, is that Pharaoh was a powerful leader. This is the most powerful nation on the earth at the time. He's the most powerful leader in that nation. And the people that lived there, the Egyptians, would have considered him a god. He wasn't just a powerful leader, but he was, he was their lord. They worshipped him. So he's an incredibly powerful person. And the thing is, is that what we find in this story is that even though he's just immensely powerful, that he's under God's authority. Because it says right in, in chapter 4 of Exodus, uh, when God reveals himself to Moses and tells Moses what he's going to do, he tells him at that point, before all this has happened, he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. God says, I'm going to do it. It's not just going to, it's not just going to, it's not that he's going to do it for himself, but I'm going to do it. Then it says in verse uh, 16 of Exodus 9, it says, but this is God uh, talking to Pharaoh, for this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may, may be proclaimed in all the earth. Not, as only, not only has God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God's raised him up. God has actually put Pharaoh in this position. He, he's, he's kind of almost enthroned him in this place, which you think that's a bizarre thing to think through in your heads, to kind of work that through. What on earth is that, is that talking about? But God's sovereign. As we're going to look at this morning, sometimes that might, that might even scare you a little bit, or that might worry you. And in a way, I kind of hope it does. I want you to think about that. Think about what, what does it mean for God to be sovereign and in charge over everything? Ask yourself that, that question. Don't just take it for granted and go, yeah, 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 we've sung songs about that, I know that. But it's something that we sometimes need to wrestle with in our hearts. What does that mean? What does that mean for my own life? And actually, the Apostle Paul, he quotes that verse from Exodus 9.16 in Romans 9. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome that he'd helped to plant. And uh, it says this, it says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, there we go, I've raised you up. Has that been there the whole time? And I've just been talking away. Last minute, minute. good, good. See, I told you, by magic, it's just going to appear. For this purpose, I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So that's Paul there quoting from Exodus And then he says, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Paul's saying here that not only is God sovereign over all things, but he's sovereign over our salvation, over your relationship with God. About whether or not you will find mercy, or whether your heart will be hardened, God is sovereign He's sovereign over that. And he was sovereign over Pharaoh. Because what, what God could have done, which maybe would have, perhaps what would have been what, what I would have done if I was God, fortunately I'm not for very good reasons, but we, I would have put a weak leader in charge. 
right? So this week, the, the Dutch uh, uh, government, they had an election in March, and 200 and something days later, they finally formed a government, a coalition of four parties, all working together with a majority of one. Okay, if you don't know much about politics, that's not very strong. That's not very stable. You know, they only need a few disagreements to happen, a few things to go their way, and the government falls apart. That's, that's not particularly strong in any way. And, and I would be thinking, okay, if I was God, I would have done the same. I would have formed some sort of democratic system. You know, Moses leading one party, Pharaoh leading the other, and sooner or later they could just argue and it would all fall apart and then, ta-da, Moses in charge, yay! But that's not how God, God works. Or it could have been, you thought, well, Moses could have raised up a mighty army. God could have given him all this military power to go and take out Pharaoh, just to go and blast him out of the water. Maybe that's what, what I would have done instead. But that's not how God does it. And it, it actually says in Exodus 1, that's, that's one of the things that Pharaoh is fearful of, is that he sees the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, God's people, he sees them multiplying and that's one of the reasons he starts to oppress them and crush them, because he's fearful that they're going to turn into some sort of army to overthrow him. So even before it's, it's even begun, even before anybody's really thought about it, he's already stepped in and crushed this revolution. You see, what, what God's engineering this whole time is God's putting somebody in charge that only he can defeat, that no one else can throw off the throne so that the Israelites, the Hebrews, or we, looking back thousands of years later, we can't say, oh, well, they did these clever things. Let's learn some, let's learn some battle tactics of how we can overthrow the things that cause problems in our life. Let's, let's work out a procedure of how we can do it. God's saying, no, only I can do it. I'm sovereign over all of this. It's not, it's not about whether you're capable. It's about God's power. He's the only hope. Because the reality is, for your life, you might have noticed it by now, but you can't save yourself. You can't fix yourself. You can try, you can, you can get your willpower going for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, maybe even years. But even then, that only works in one area of your life and then you discover that in other parts of your life that you still struggle, that you still sin, that you still make mistakes. And then you can fix that bit and then it's, it, it's suddenly the water's spewing out over here and you put your thumb in that hole and then it's coming out over here. We can spend a whole life trying to stop the leaks and the problems and the issues if we're trying to do it ourselves. There's a, a quote, hopefully it will appear on the screen, from a guy called Phil Moore who he was writing about these verses I just read from Romans. He said, we assume that people are spiritually sick and we need to crawl to Jesus as their doctor, when in fact, Paul has told us that we're spiritually dead and we need more than a, a medicine, we need a miracle. That's, that's, what it, that's what it means to be human without God. You're dead, you're dead. It's not that we come to Jesus to try and patch us up and fix us up. It's not that Christianity is just kind of a crutch just to support us but it's what gives us life, a new birth. We're born again. We, we go from death to life, from darkness to light. That's what it is to know Jesus and to follow him. There was a, 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 an interview with uh, C.S. Lewis who wrote the Narnia books uh, many years ago, and the interviewer was, was asking him, 
when did you become a Christian? When did you decide to follow Jesus? And C.S. Lewis just refused to answer the question. He was just frustrated by it. And the, the interviewer kept asking him again, when did you decide? And eventually, the, the only way he said I can answer is to say, I was decided upon. God decided. And if you, re- you can read his biography, Surprised by Joy, and he tells the story of how he became a believer in Jesus. And he was an ardent skeptic. He would argue with believers, and he was an atheist. He pulled down all their arguments. He destroyed it all. And in the end, he said, God just arrested me. I was decided upon. I didn't decide to follow Jesus, that he came and decided it. He came and chose me. He came and pulled me out. It says in Revelation 7, salvation belongs to our God. It's his. He owns it. It says in Isaiah 64, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Now, as I said earlier, if you're a believer in Jesus, this may be, all of this a huge comfort to you, or it may be not. If you don't know Jesus, or maybe you're not sure, you're trying to figure things out, this might all completely scare you. You might think, I don't want to just be clay. Like, what sort of life is that? Just being molded and formed, and that sounds a bit useless to me. Sounds, sounds a bit dull to me. You know, what, am I just supposed to live my life on pause now? I just sit in this chair and I just let God control me like a puppet on like a remote control. And sometimes that can be what sounds like what I'm saying. You think, where's my free will? Why should I even bother to try and change anything in my life? Why should I bother to tell other people about Jesus? If he's sovereign, then what's the point? Which is a very good question. I wish I could give you a really pithy answer that would answer that, but I don't have one. I have a slightly longer answer. First of all, it's worth saying that, that God's initiative doesn't equal our passivity. Just, just because he's come with his initiative that he's come and decided upon us doesn't mean then that everything stops, that we just kind of give up. It says in John 6, it says, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, that, that's kind of the opposite of what C.S. Lewis is saying. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to me. God puts the responsibility on us. God puts the responsibility in, in our hands. He gives us the responsibility to come to him, to follow him, to tell others about him. He puts the responsibility in our hands. It says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. We're told to abide in him. That's what our Christian life should look like, an abiding, coming and being with him again. Abiding, abiding. That's, again, it's, it's, that's our initiative. It's, it's something that we need to do. When it comes to our mission in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority on earth has been given to me. Go. He doesn't say, all authority on earth has been given to me. Do nothing then, therefore, because I'm in charge, so you don't need to worry at all. And we don't need to worry. But he still says, go. Make disciples. Tell people about me. He puts that initiative in our hands because 
it's under Jesus' lordship and authority we're still to come to him and to follow him and to tell others about him. That's what the church is supposed to do. And in, in our responsibility, in our responsibility, it's important to say that God wants everything. He wants everything. Not just a bit of you, not just your Sunday. He wants the whole thing. He wants it all. And it would be easier for us to preach a kind of a, a more palatable, a kind of nicer, softer message. You know, to say, well, you know, he's, he, he, Jesus is a nice kind of added extra on your life. He's like the cream on top, the cherry on top. Jesus is a nice, he'll keep you happy on Sundays. He's good for a Tuesday evening, but Jesus, he's not the one for Friday nights. He's not the one for Saturday mornings. He's just for certain bits of your life. Just give, us, just give Jesus 10%. Don't worry about the rest. The message of the Bible, what Jesus calls people to is a radical life where he asks for everything, for not just part, but for the whole thing, all of us. It's not just for weddings and funerals. And there's this great verse in, in, in Exodus chapter, chapter 10 where it says that, uh, that uh, where, is this it? Yes, no, go back one, yes. Yeah, then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord, your little ones also may go with you. So Pharaoh's relented at this point. He's told them they can go. And then he says, only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind for we must take of them to serve the Lord. C.H. Spurgeon preached the whole message on that phrase, not a hoof shall be left behind. That's what I'm saying. It's not a hoof shall be left behind. Jesus wants everything. He wants all of us. You know, through, through the summer, if you live in the city, you'll have noticed these little things called mosquitoes, right? They're horrible things, aren't they? Aren't they? I mean, I'm, I know God created everything and, and, you know, all for good reasons, but mosquitoes don't exist in that. I'm sure they have some sort of function that blesses the earth, but I don't know it. They're just horrible things that come. Actually, to be honest, I'm fine because as long as I'm next to Joe, they all bite Joe and they never bite me. I don't, I don't know why that is. Apparently, I'm not as tasty. But anyway, if, the thing is, if you have in your night, if you hear that kind of, you know, that little buzzy noise when they just kind of fly past your ear, and then you wake up, and if you count, seven mosquitoes in your room, you're not gonna get six and leave one. We can, we can hear our, our, our neighbor do it, because what she does, she gets her hoover, her Dyson out. She just, it's like Ghostbusters. She just sort of sucks them out, poof, poof. And we, there'll be many times over the summer that we'll wake up in the middle of the night and, or, or I'll wake up to see Joe like flapping in the air, like trying to get these things. But if, if you see seven, you don't just get six and say, oh, well, we've, we've, we, were, we were almost there. You know, this one, it can just have a little feed. It can just have a little nibble, you know, just, just to be nice. You get them all. You get them all, at least if you can, because they're pretty elusive, but you're going to try and get them all. And you see, that's when, when it comes to our walk with God, when it comes to our repentance, 
which means to turn away and to turn to God. Jesus wants everything that he's purchased because he's won all of us at the cross. And he doesn't then just say, well, I just want 75% or 85%. And we keep things in our life in reserve. We, we hold them back. We kind of lock them down. Sometimes just out of shame, out of embarrassment. Sometimes because we think, I don't want to lose control. If I give this to God, then, then I'm not in control anymore. And that can scare us. It can worry us. Even we see Pharaoh at one point in, in chapter 10, Pharaoh actually says, he says, I've sinned against the Lord your God. And he says, now therefore forgive my sin. We think Pharaoh's confessing. He's trying to repent. But then you only have to go a few verses and he, again, he turns away. He, he goes back to his old ways. And that, doesn't that sound so familiar? How many times have you done that? I know I do it all the time. I say, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live for you. And then sometimes even before I finish saying it, I'm back into my old ways, into my old habits, into my old life. And that's not what we're called for. Now, you might think, hold on a second. We've completely flipped everything over. Which is it? Okay, is my salvation up to me or is it up to God? Is it my responsibility or is it God's responsibility? And the wonderful thing is, we read from John 6 about where Jesus says, come to me, all who are thirsty, all who are hungry, come to me. But then it goes on in John 6, verse 44, a few verses later, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Even that, even that impulse in your heart that says, I'm, I'm going to fix this. Gonna, that's God. That's God. Even if you're here today and you think, I'm not a believer in Jesus. I'm not a, a Christian. The fact that you're even in this room, that's God at work in you. He's drawn you here. And you think, no, he hasn't. I decided to walk in. I made that decision. I decided to follow Jesus. And yes, you, you, you did, but that was God working in you and through you. It's just a wonderful picture of God's grace that in his sovereignty, he gives us responsibility. But he doesn't take his hands off the wheel. He doesn't just run away and leave us all the time. He's guiding us. He's caring for us. He's looking after us. He knows what situation is going to hit your life next, what challenge is going to come along. He's sovereign over all of those things. It says in, in Jude, one of my favorite verses, it says, at the end of Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. We're to keep, that's what our Christian walk should look like, looking to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then a few verses later, it says, now to him who is able to keep you. It says, we're to keep ourselves, but God is the one who's keeping us. You think, that doesn't make any sense. And, and in a way, in our head, it doesn't make any sense. And that's okay. We have to trust God for that, that in his sovereignty and his grace, it makes sense. The best way to describe it, the best way to describe our walk with God in some ways is a, is a grace-driven effort. We work, but it's all driven by his grace. He's the author of our faith. It says in Galatians 5, it's this kind of slightly bizarre phrase. It says that we're to walk 
by the Spirit, which is curious, isn't it? How do I walk by the Spirit? I'm supposed to walk, but by the Spirit. How does that, how do those two things come together? How does that, how does that work? Is it down to my willpower? No, it's down to self-control. Where does self-control come from? It's the fruit of the Spirit. What I'm saying is it's God's enabling, his helping, his empowering of us that helps us to live for him, that helps us to walk after him. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say it is activity under his control. Or to put it the other way around, it is his activity through us. Activity under his control. Another way of putting it was that the, the, uh, the theologian and philosopher from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Augustine, who said, love God, do what you want. <laughs> because when you, when you love God, when you're pursuing him, then what you want to do is to serve him, is to follow him. That's his grace working out in you. Just something changes within you and you think, I just, I, it's not that I need to force myself not to do that anymore, but I just don't want to because of his grace, because of his power at work within me. He's at work. And sometimes we need to kind of almost uh, uh, fight through, sometimes almost in cold blood. But even those moments, that's still his grace at work within you, leading you, helping you, guiding you. Right, we're just coming to a, a finish now. And what I want to do as we finish is to look at this phrase from... Uh, that Pharaoh uses again and again, or that God uses, which says in, in Exodus 11, says Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. He hardened his heart. And you could think, or it's a good question to ask, of why does the Bible use that particular phrase that God hardened Pharaoh's heart because it could just say that God made him stubborn or tough or difficult or a pain in the backside or pig-headed or whatever other phrase you could think of but the Bible again repeatedly again and again and again uses that phrase that God hardened Pharaoh's heart or Pharaoh hardened his own heart why, why that phrase is it just kind of poetry well You'll find as you read the Bible that the, the words in the they're packed with meaning and purpose. There's not a phrase in there that's just accidental. And some of the, the language is very poetic, but all of it has a purpose to it, has a meaning to us that God's trying to say something to us. And there are two things with this. First of all, the, the, the fact that it was his heart that was hardened, the heart would have, would have it's kind of symbolic of, of of his spiritual center. It's not just, we would talk about the heart as where our emotions come from, where our feelings come from. And we've got this kind of dichotomy where what happens in our head is different from what happens in our heart. Whereas the way the Bible speaks, that's from our heart is, actually it's true of us as well, that's where we make decisions from. That's where we think from. That's, that's where all our desires and emotions, everything of us, it comes from our heart. So when it says it's, it hard, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it means it hardened all of him, not just part of him, but all of his being, who he was, how he was made. He was 
hardened. And obviously when, when something becomes hard, it follows that that thing that becomes hard becomes heavy, right? If you take a sponge and it becomes a rock, that's going to be heavy. And that, that's what happens is, is in, in one of the phrases in, in, in verse 1 of Exodus 10, the best way to translate the hardening of his heart is that literally his heart was to be heavy. God made Pharaoh's heart heavy, like weighty, like a weight, which is important because for the Egyptians, they believed what they would do is after someone would die, their kind of mythology was that, uh, that their heart would be weighed. I think there's a picture that hopefully come up. Here we go. I don't know if you can see that very well. That's, uh, it, oh, there's some, some scales here, and that side is a heart, and over here is a feather. And particularly for Pharaoh, the Egyptians believed that when he died, his heart would be, would be, would be weighed in the balance. And it was supposed to be that the Pharaoh's heart would be lighter than a, a feather, that the, the scales would tip this way, and that would, that would be good. If it tipped the other way, that's bad. That means punishment is to follow in the afterlife. That's what they believed. And so for, for God making Pharaoh's heart heavy, we, we've got to understand it against the, the backdrop of this story. What God's saying is he's not only sovereign over him, he's judging him. He's, he's judging him. He's saying to him, you're not God. You're not perfect like I'm perfect. God's saying you're mortal. You're a sinner. He's saying I'm making your heart heavy because there's nothing about you that's perfect and righteous and holy. You're just another broken man. And God's saying this to the most powerful man in the whole of the universe at the time. He's just saying, you're just like everybody else. You're weak, you're fallible. I'm making you heavy and weighty. And in the afterlife, you will receive punishment. That's what God's saying to him. That's what Pharaoh would have felt when he heard that phrase. He would have felt, he would have felt conviction. God's showing him just to be sinful like anybody else. It says in Proverbs 16, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It says in Proverbs 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own heart, in own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs the heart. That's what God's message is to Pharaoh. I'm going to weigh your heart and you're going, to be, you're going to come up short. You're going to be found wanting. The scales are not going to tip in your favor. God's a God of justice. That's what he's saying in his justice to Pharaoh. I'm making you heavy. And the thing is that God also in his justice he looks on the Israelites and he decides to have mercy on whomever he wills. Because the story of Exodus isn't there's Pharaoh and the Egyptians and they're bad and there's the Israelites, the Hebrews, and they were good. So we go through this story, I hope we've seen as we've been going through it and we'll, you'll definitely see it if you keep on reading Exodus. They weren't good. Even after their Exodus, even after they've been led out of Israel, there's a few times where they say, can, can we go back? We want to go back. We want to go back under slavery. They were sinful. 
There's, no, there's nothing particularly special or unique about them other than the fact that God has chosen them. There's nothing, there's nothing for them to, that has earned God's favor or his love for them. Just God's chosen to. God's decided that they're going to be his people, that he's going to call them out. And you see, because if the scales of justice for us, if we were held in the balance, judged by our actions and our thoughts, what we've done, what we thought, what we said, what we will do in the future, the, the scales wouldn't tip in our favor. They wouldn't go our way. None of us. No one here. And yet God in his mercy has done a work in your life. He's decided upon you. He's called you here to, to know him. And that would be, that's where I want to finish this morning, is if you're here and, and you're, not, you're not a believer in Jesus, or maybe you're not sure, you've got an opportunity to, to come to him this morning. And as I said, I don't, want it, I don't want to make it a nice, easy thing. I want to say, look, Jesus wants all of your life. He wants everything. But I can promise you, if you make that commitment, that's the best decision you've ever made. It really is. There's nothing better than following Jesus. It will transform you, little by little. It's not like a magic wand and then suddenly you're different. But from the inside out, God will change you. God will heal you. He'll forgive you for all the things that you've done, the things where you've let yourself down, things where you've let other people down, things where you've let God down. He'll forgive you for all of those things. He'll give you a clean heart. You can walk after him. You can know his grace, his power within you. Let me just read these words from the end of, or near the end of Exodus. This is God speaking. He says, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And that's the message this morning. If you don't know Jesus, come and know his grace and his compassion. <laughs> if you do know Jesus, you're struggling, just come and know his grace and his compassion, his forgiveness, and then ask for his help. <laughs> Say, God, I can't do this. I've tried to fix it, and I can't. Come and help me. And that walk by the Spirit, we say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I need your help. You might even want to find another brother or sister and say, look, can you pray for me? I just need some help. And they'd love to pray with you. Okay, let me pray. God, we, um, we don't fully understand the fact that you're sovereign and yet you've put responsibility in our hands to follow you. But we know that all of that is your grace at work. For us to come to you in the first place, that's you at work in us. For us to decide to follow you, that's you at work. And we just want to submit our hearts to you again. We don't want any hoof left behind. We don't want to leave anything behind. But even if it's scary, 
Even if we're fearful of it, we want to say, Jesus, I want to give you everything. Even that thing that I want to talk about, I want to, I want to give it all to you. Knowing that, Jesus, you've forgiven it all. You've not forgiven 75%. You've not forgiven the bits that you like. You've forgiven all of us. Even the worst things, even the most horrible things, even the blackest parts of our heart, you've forgiven us. And now before you, our hearts are lighter than a feather because we know your righteousness on us now, Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Amen.